Thank you so much. Well, let's see, is it still? Yeah, it's still morning. Good morning, City Life. How you guys doing? Doing good? It's good to see you. It's my pleasure to um, be here with you. I want to thank Pastor Christy in her absence for inviting me to come and to fellowship with you and, and to be able to break the bread of life with you from the word of God. And uh, thank you to the leadership team, Andy and Pastor Phil and everyone for just being such a gracious hostess. Uh, to me this morning. It's been um, just a delight already. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord is going to do with us for the rest of uh, this service. Um, as um, you already know, I am the leadership discipleship pastor at uh, Kentwood Community Church, also known as KCC out in Kentwood. And so I bring you greetings from there and our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Mick Veach. Uh, and um, just honored to be able to serve under his leadership. And I also want to just take a moment, they weren't here in the first service, uh, and they surprised me, uh, to uh, recognize my family, my husband and my 13-year-old daughter, um, played hooky from KCC, I won't tell, uh, to come and to be with us today. So uh, if you all just wave at the people, and will you all say good morning to... Uh, Oh, y'all are waving at them and they're waving at you. <laughs> uh, just because I just love to embarrass her in public. She's 13 and it's a lot of fun to do. Uh, Lindley, stand up, show everybody how cute you are. <laughs> smile, that's my daughter, Lindley. Uh, as my dad used to say, smile, show off all that money in your mouth, you know, because you got braces right now. Uh, so I thank them for, uh, for coming and um, worshiping with us. I appreciate that. I love you both very, very dearly. Um, but I also love the word of God. His word is life, right? It is truth. Uh, it is the bread of life, and it is the thing by which we live. Uh, Jesus said it himself when he was tempted by the enemy after that 40-day uh, and 40-night fast before his uh, ministry officially began when, when uh, Satan tempted him to turn the rocks into bread because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. Uh, he said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And so the word that we have, whether it's on our phone or device, or if we still carry an actual Bible uh, around, it is living, it's true, it pierces, it's like a two-edged sword, it pierces the flesh to the bone right into the marrow, which means it cuts through everything in life, and it is our recipe for life. We cannot live the life that God intends for us to live without having the Word of God hidden in our heart. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm excited to, to bring the word and let, let me get going. I will, um, I overshare, I tend to overshare, so you'll learn a little bit about me and my family uh, as, we, as we go along. But I'll just say this, I um, thank you. I grew up in a, um, not just a Christian home, it was a Bible-believing, praying, uh, church-going, Holy Spirit-filled home. My mother was a preacher of the gospel, and she raised my older sister and me in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, I learned uh, when I was, um, you know, barely out of my toddler years how to take the authority that's in the name of Jesus and rebuke the devil. Uh, she taught me when I was going through that phase of being afraid of the dark and I would imagine these monsters and, you know, um, ghouls and stuff under my bed or in the closet or whatever and I would uh, you know yell for my mom because I was afraid and she said honey there's power in the name of Jesus and she taught me as a young girl just to rebuke the devil 
and say, Satan, the Lord rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and then go on to sleep. And uh, I did, even as a little four or five-year-old uh, girl, I used to imagine this. She looked like a witch uh, sitting right at the foot of my bed. And uh, I, I, it was my imagination. And after my mom taught me that, I was like, I rebuke you, witch. I rebuke you, witch, in Jesus' name. And I would. I would go to sleep. Uh, so I learned the power of uh, God and the power that's in the name of Jesus from a very young age. Uh, I've seen miracles. Um, my entire life, it was a lifestyle growing up. When uh, something went wrong, when we got sick or people would come over for my mother to pray for them, she would pull out the word of God because that's where the power is and read the word, her favorite scripture, which has become mine, uh, Mark 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 22 and 23, where Jesus says, have faith in God. Now I learned it in King James Version, so that's how I can quote it. If you shall say to yonder mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, and doubt not in your heart, you shall have whatsoever you say. And when you pray, forgive so that your Father in heaven can forgive you. And so just for just about everything we prayed about, she would quote that scripture. Uh, and I watch God do miraculous things in the life of our family, in my own life. I shared uh, at the first service, um, and I'll share again very quickly. I've, you know, God has healed my body so many times, I can't even tell you uh, how many times. But a particular time I was young, I developed this rash on my neck. It moved to my face, and it was just slowly, slowly marching up my face. And um, my mother took me to doctor after doctor after doctor. They couldn't even figure out what was causing it, let alone how to stop it. And they were concerned that if it got to my eyes, that it would impair my vision. And um, really out of desperation and exasperation, my mother finally, she got me up in the middle of the night one night uh, and asked me if I believed God could heal me. Now, I don't know why she couldn't have done that at like five or six in the evening while I was still awake. But, you know, for whatever reason, she was moved to do it at like two in the morning. And, um, you know, with sleepy eyes, I said, yes, mommy, I believe God can heal me. And she got anointing oil. If you're familiar with oil, there's no magic in the oil. It just represents the anointing and the power of God. And she slathered my face uh, with the oil. And she just began to pray, go away in the name of Jesus. Go away in the name of Jesus. Uh, and nothing happened in that moment. I went to bed uh, and went back to sleep and just, you know, I was just greasy and messed up my pillow that night. Um, but when I woke up the next morning, every bump was gone. Uh, the rash was gone and it never returned. I still don't know what caused it and I don't care. But what I do know is that God's healing power healed me. So I say that to you because I believe in a big, powerful, relevant today God who is waiting to be active in your life, where you are, who you are, to use who you are to accomplish his purpose. I also believe in a small, impotent, uh, defeated devil. The enemy would want to make you think that he is bigger than he really is and that he's more powerful than he really is because he, uh, he believes that if he can get you to think that the problems that he throws your way and the compli uh, complications that you, he throws your way are insurmountable and impossible and unsolvable, then he knows that he's got you. And if he can keep you from praying and keep you from worshiping, then he can keep you in that situation. But I'm here to be a demon 
demon-busting, lie-busting uh, preacher today. The devil is a liar. He is not bigger than the enemy, but he is not bigger than God. He is our enemy, and he's a liar. And whatever he says about you is not true. There's no truth in it. But what God has said over you is not only true, it lasts for eternity. The scripture says that his word lasts. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will endure forever. So his truth about you endures forever. And so I want to encourage you to believe what God says about you and who you are in him. And he sent his son that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He got in Jesus shed his blood, went down to hell, took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I didn't do this in the first sermon service, but I feel led to right now. God, Jesus has won your victory and that you can walk in that victory. You don't have to stay in your situation. You don't have to stay who your, your mama name told you you were supposed to be. God created you to be who he created you to be. His thoughts for you are for good and not for evil. He has given you a future and a hope, and he has placed in you everything for life, health, and goodness. And if you believe that, would you say amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I don't know. Y'all are pulling on me. I, was, I didn't plan to say any of that. None of that's in my notes. Uh, but I believe that it was for somebody today. So we're going to uh, go to the scripture, um, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. If you have your Bible or open up your device and turn to Acts 16, we're just going to read a few verses uh, in Acts 16, and then we're going to see what the Lord wants to say to us. Uh, if you have it, say amen. All right. If you're trying to find it, say hold on. Hurry up. They only give me a little bit of time. All right. Um, let's start. We're going to start in verse 22 and read through 26. It reads thusly, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jail, jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon, everybody say inner dungeon, and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, would you say midnight? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Say singing hymns. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner, can you say every prisoner, fell off. Thus is the reading of the word. May God bless the reading and the hearing, and the Holy Spirit empower the doing of his word. Amen? Well, I'd like to thank Pastor uh, Christy for inviting me to come and to share with you. It's my privilege and honor. I like to say I love having the opportunity to not only share the, my own testimony, but the word of God, because it's a part of how I overcome. Revelations 12, 11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, loving not our life even unto death. And so I thank Pastor Christy and Pastor Phil for allowing uh, me to have this moment, which is a part of of my own overcoming, and uh, I uh, don't take it for granted. I know that no good pastor lets just anybody up in their pulpit, so I appreciate it. So I want to talk to you today on the subject of worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. 
we often think of worship in many different ways. If I say the word worship, you probably get a mental picture of what that looks like. Maybe it's singing a particular song, or maybe it's swaying back and forth, and depending on your, your tradition, maybe it's running back and forth, or doing a little shout. Maybe it's raising your hands, or maybe it's bowing before the Lord, or maybe it's clapping or, or stomping your feet. Um, but worship is all of those things, but it is also a spiritual weapon. Before we unpack that, let me just set the scene a little bit in Acts 16. Um, we, it's a very familiar verse, and if you've been in church for any length of time or been to Sunday school, you've heard this story about Paul and Silas being uh, thrown in jail. Well, what happened was Paul was on his second missionary trip, and uh, he was uh, in Lystra, on, and that's where he met Timothy, and he was on his way uh, uh, to uh, share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit directed him not to go through Asia or Bithynia, so he ended up sailing to Troas, then to Macedonia, and then ended up in Philippi, which is where we see him in this scripture. And not that I need you to remember all those things, but what I do want you to remember is Paul specifically and intentionally followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So that's how he ended up where he was this particular day. Well, the scripture tells us in Acts 16 that um, it was uh, the Sabbath. And so he was looking for a prayer meeting of believers, of Christ followers. And so the scripture says as he was walking through the city looking for a group of Christ followers that were praying, he happened upon or came upon a young slave girl. And the scripture tells us that this slave girl is possessed by a demon. She's able, this demon allows her to tell fortunes. She's a fortune teller. And we learn that she is owned by some unscrupulous slave masters who have exploited her and they use her to tell people's fortunes and charge money for it. So they're making money off of this uh, demon-possessed little girl. Well, the scripture says that as Paul uh, and Silas were walking along, she began to follow them and shout out, these are the men of God, listen to them, they're going to tell you how to be saved. Now it's interesting because the message that she's saying is true. It doesn't seem like that uh, demon spirit would be declaring truth. However, Paul had discernment, knew that she was possessed by a demon, and out of agitation and annoyance, rebuked the devil. Well, the demon came out of the girl and she lost her ability to tell fortunes. And this enraged her owners because they lost a source of income. And so as a result of this, the owners of the slave girl go to the magistrate and the officials and they make false accusations against Paul and Silas. And as a result of that, Paul and Silas are arrested, beaten publicly, severely, and not only thrown in jail, they're literally thrown under the jail into a dungeon. Uh, historians tell me that this dungeon literally was honed underground level, and it was dark and dank, probably damp, probably didn't smell good because usually prisoners after a while don't smell that great. Uh, there might have been vermin and pests and, and no telling what was down there. But the scriptures tell us that Paul and Silas were beaten publicly, 
been thrown into the dungeon under the jail, not just with the regular uh, minor offenders, but thrown under the jail so that they wouldn't escape. And the scriptures also then tell us that they were put into stocks. Now, stocks were a torture device, and it was a long piece of wood that was placed between the feet, and the uh, person wearing the stocks had to spread their feet really uncomfortably wide, and they were chained into those stocks. And the scripture tells us then that stock was chained to the wall. So I want you to imagine this. Use your imagination. So here they, they are, these two men of God, where they're supposed to do, be, doing what they're supposed to be doing, led by the Holy Spirit, are falsely accused. And as a result of that, well, before even they're falsely accused, they use the power that's in the name of Jesus they, they were given. And then, then they were falsely accused and then thrown under the jail in a dungeon. And, um, sir, is everything okay? All right. All right. So they're under the jail. They have been beaten. They're in this torture device, chained to the wall in total darkness. There's no light down there. And they're imprisoned for something that they didn't do. Now, it's easy for me to imagine what the possible responses might be to being in this circumstance. Here they are, minding their own business, doing what God told them to do, and they find themselves in a dungeon. It would be reasonable and understandable if they were mad. It would be reasonable and understandable if they were frustrated or afraid or resentful or bitter. What is odd to me is that the scripture says at midnight, which uh, is traditionally known as the darkest, right? The most solitary time of night. They're not mad. They're not complaining. They're not licking their wounds. They're not commiserating. The scripture says that they are praying, which makes sense to me. But they're also singing hymns to God. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'll give you a little peek into my uh, personality. If those same set of circumstances happened to me at midnight, I don't know. I, I would be praying for sure. I don't know if I would be singing. We expect when a, a, a believer is in a tough situation to pray. But to sing praises to God? I don't know about that. I wonder if any of us can relate to the circumstances, spiritually or figuratively, that we find Paul and Silas in. You obviously are not in a dungeon. You're here sitting at City Life. But what's happening in your life? Are you in a dark place? Is it uncomfortable? Have you been stretched to a point of feeling discomfort? Do you feel like it's not fair? I wonder if there's somebody in here that has said, I did everything I was supposed to do. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I've been witnessing to people. I feed the hungry. I help the poor. And here I am in this terrible situation. Well, we have an important lesson to learn from Paul and Silas and how they responded. Now, by the way, Paul is a Roman citizen. 
So what had happened to him was illegal. And he could have appealed to the magistrate and said, hey, 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 you don't know who I am. How dare you? He didn't do that. He could have demanded justice. He could have uh, uh, um, uh, planned and plotted revenge. But the scripture says that the darkest moment of his imprisonment in the dungeon, not only was he not indignant, not only did he not pull the Roman card, not only did he not curse God or resign himself to the predicament and just fall asleep, Paul and Silas understood something that I believe it's important for us to understand in this day. They did not let their external reality dictate their internal authority. It didn't matter what things looked like on the outside. It didn't matter how it felt. It didn't even matter how unjust it was. Paul and Silas remembered who they are in Christ Jesus, and they made a strategic decision in that moment. They understood that worship is also a weapon. You see, worship for us is a spiritual weapon. Why? Because it changes the atmosphere. When we do worship the way it's intended to be done, then it, then it provides a throne, a place for God to come and inhabit. Uh, Psalm 22.3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. If you properly exegete that, then the Hebrew root, root word for in the inhabits there is actually enthroned. So when we praise God, when we worship God, we are literally building a spiritual throne for God to sit on. Why is that important? Well, what is there a need for a throne unless there is a king? And why is there a king unless the king has authority and sovereignty? What I want you to understand is that when we worship God, when we praise God, then we are literally building a place in our hearts, our minds, in our lives for him to come and sit and reign and be sovereign. We're saying, God, you're more important than my circumstances. God, you're more important than the, dis the disappointment. God, you're more important than the distraction. I'm going to praise you and worship you no matter how I feel, no matter how things look, no matter whether I really know what I'm doing, no matter whether people call me crazy or not. I'm going to praise you because you're worthy to be praised. If you agree with that, would you give me an amen? I'm just telling you right now, if you amen me, I'll preach better. All right. Worship changes the atmosphere. So when we extol him, when we declare his goodness, when we speak well of him, when we tell him, God, you're lovely. God, you're wonderful. God, your name is sweet. There's no name above your name. When we clap our hands or twirl or dance or even sit silently, reverently in his presence as an act of worship, it creates a place for God. And here's the important part. When we worship God, the enemy has no defense against our worship. He's got no tool in his tool belt that can come against our warfare worship. So in this moment, Paul and Silas took their attention off the dark circumstances, off the uncomfortable stocks, off the binding chains, off the uh, uh, injustice of the circumstance, and they began to put their focus on God and on his goodness. You see, when we take our attention off of ourselves and put it totally on God, that's true spiritual work worship.
Because you see, we worship God because he's worthy. Amen? Right? We worship him because he's good, because he's, he's good for it. He's worthy of it. He, uh, uh, I don't like to say it this way, but he's earned it. He deserves it just because he's God. So what circumstance have you been in that makes God anything less than God? What's happening in your life that changes the character or the nature of God? Nothing. You see, we worship God because he's worthy. Even when you're in a hard place, he's still God. Even when you're frustrated, he's still God. Even when you've been betrayed by your loved ones, he's still God. Even when you're not getting the answer that you're asking him for, he's still God. Even when the doctor gives you a bad diagnosis, he's still God. Even if you didn't get the job, he's still God. Even if you did get the job and now you hate the job. He's still God. You see, worship has nothing to do with us, nothing to do with happen what's happening around us, nothing to do with our traditions and our rituals. It doesn't matter whether you were raised to be silent before God or you were raised to buck and shout before God. That has to do with you. Worship, true worship, is simply a, an acknowledgement and an exaltation of who God is and it doesn't matter our race, our creed, our gender, our size, our height. It doesn't matter our circumstances, our socioeconomic level, our bank account, our car, our house, or lack thereof. You see, he's still worthy of our worship. So my question to you today is what is binding you? What dark space have you found yourself in? What tough circumstance? Is surrounding you. Are you trapped in anger? Are you trapped in depression, anxiety, unforgiveness, sin, addiction, disease, mental illness? I'm here to suggest to you that the foundational key to your deliverance is to worship God. Now let me be specific. The scripture said that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang hymns to, the God, to God. The Greek root word for hymn in that scripture, H-Y-M-N, is humneo, which means to celebrate and laud, L-A-U-D. Now, again, I get the praying. We know how to pray in a tough situation, or we know we should pray in a tough situation, right? But it's the celebrating part that I don't get. Now, remember, they've been falsely accused, unjustly beaten, put under the dungeon. They're in the dark. They can't see. They cannot escape in any human way. And in this moment, not only are they praying, which makes sense to me, but they're celebrating God. What? So in other words, they're not uh, just, you know, singing a dirge. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Him right here means they're celebrating. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. They are worshiping and celebrating God. Whatever the song was, I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us what they were singing. But what we do know is that it was a celebration. How on earth could they do that? They could only do it because they were not limited by what they saw around them. More importantly, they were not dictating what they saw or what they saw or an, an experience around them was not dictating what they did. 
So the scripture says that they were singing hymns. They were celebrating, lauding God. And then it says when they sang, what happened? It says a great earthquake, earthquake came and shook the very foundation of the, the prison. So the word earthquake there means seismos. S-E-I-S-M-O. We're familiar with that, like the seismograph that measures um, the uh, severity of an earthquake. But here's another definition. So seismos also means, it does mean shaking, but it also means to topple and destroy. So when Paul and Silas began to pray and celebrate and worship God because of who he is, the very foundation of their problem began to move. And as a, as a result of the toppling and the moving of their problem, the scripture then says that the doors flew open and the chains of all the prisoners fell off. Well, I did a little more studying for you and found out that here the word uh, door, uh, another definition for it, we understand what door means, but another definition is opportunity. Mm. So in their darkest moment, as they ignored the circumstances, not denying that they were there, but simply exalting that God was there too with them. And as they began to worship God, then the foundation of the problem began to shake. And because of the shaking of the foundation of the problem, then the door uh, uh, opportunity began to open up. And then it says the chains fell off. And the, the Greek word for chain there is desmos, which, all, which means bond. You would expect that, but it also means infirmity. So when we begin to praise God and acknowledge his presence, even in our darkest and most dank and most uncomfortable circumstance, I believe that the presence of the Lord as we worship will begin to shake the foundation of what's binding us. And then the doors of opportunity will open up and then we will walk free of what's binding us and walk free of the infirmity. And so the scripture says that not only did the door open up to the dungeon, which is where Paul and Silas was, it said every door in the jail opened up and every chain of every prisoner fell off them. This is what I love about you, sisters, about this. Sisters and brothers, if you will worship God in your circumstances, you not only get set free, but the people around you get set free too. Because you know when God shows up in a circumstance, he changes the atmosphere. I can't find a scripture where Jesus or God stepped into a circumstance and when he left, it was exactly the same as when he came into it. You see, if you'll let God into your circumstance, everything is going to change. He's going to shake the foundation of what the enemy is going to do. He's going to open the doors for the opportunity that he has ordained for you. And he's going to loose you from the bonds and the impediments that keep you back. That is what worship will do as a weapon in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise the Lord. All right, so a couple more things, and then we're going to close this up, and we are going to worship. I'm just going to give you fair warning now. No sense in me preaching about worship, and you all walking out there and going to get your chicken and say, oh, what a nice word about worship. We're going to worship just a little bit before we go, okay? So just get yourself ready. And so the scripture tells us that, yes, um, we have an avenue to freedom and deliverance when we worship, but here's the awesome thing. The enemy has no weapon against your worship. 
He has no tool that can defy your worship. And the scripture tells us that when we call upon the name of the Lord, that we will not be disgraced. Psalm 22, verse 4 and 5 says it this way. It says, our ancestors trusted in you, talking about trusting in God, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. You see, the enemy wants to keep you from calling upon the Lord because he knows that a good father comes when their child calls them. And when you call on the Lord, he is going to come. I don't know of a parent who won't call, come when their child calls them, especially out of distress. And the enemy wants to keep you from calling out to God because he knows that God will step into that situation. You will not be disgraced. And what I love about this psalm, I believe David wrote it here, is, is not only does God come, he says that he, our ancestors called upon him and he saved them. I like to say it this way. The past faithfulness of God is evidence of his future faithfulness. Has he ever healed you before? That means he'll heal you again. Has he set you free before? That means he'll set you free again. We will not be disgraced when we call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Now the scriptures also tell us that worship lifts the heaviness off of us. This, uh, Isaiah 1, uh, 61, 3 says this, that he gives us a garment of praise in, uh, instead of a spirit of heaviness. The scriptures also tell us that worship pulls down walls. We saw it with Joshua in the battle of Jericho where he marched around the city uh, for seven days and on the seventh day marched around the city seven times and they began to shout and praise the Lord and the walls of the city came down. We know that when we worship God that it allows aligns our heart and our mind with the will of God. How do we know this? Well, I'll just submit to you the model prayer that many of us call the Lord's Prayer that's in Matthew when the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray like this. He didn't say pray this. He actually said pray like this. So he just gave them a template. And he said, our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name, by thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, the template that Jesus gave to the disciples and by extension to us is we start off declaring who God is. He's our father. And then we worship in hallowed be thy name. That's worship. And then thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Uh, 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 acknowledging his sovereignty. And then he says, and uh, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when we worship God, when we acknowledge him, when we exalt him, it, it it opens up a pathway for him to begin to reveal to us his will. And then when we are willing, his will can be done in us and through us on earth as it's done in heaven. That's what worship will do. So how do we worship then? We worship in spirit and in truth. We see this with the woman at the well when Jesus went through Samaria specifically to encounter her. And I don't have time to preach that sermon, but what we know is when she finally figured out that she was in front of the Son of God, she says, I want that water so I'll never thirst. And he said, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And she says, you're so right. He says, you've had seven and the one that you're with is not your own husband. So in other words, this woman had to bring her full, authentic, messy, complicated, 
dedicated self to Jesus in order to be in relationship with him. So uh, worship then is being our full, complicated, messy self before him, being able to be naked and unashamed. God, I need your help. I've struggled with this. I've gone back and forth with that. I've compromised in this. Oh, but I'm presenting myself to you. And that brings me to my next point as a living sacrifice. Lord, make me holy and acceptable unto you. And so first we have to then be authentic and then we have to present ourselves as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? That means that we sacrifice, kill everything that is our will in subjugation to what is God's will. So in other words, God, it's not my life, it's your life. Use me the way you want me to use me. Lord, show me how you want me to spend my time. You know, we're, we're willing to give God a lot of things. We'll give Jesus our heart, right? We'll, we, we will give money in church, but it's hard to give God all our time. We'll give him this 11 to 1230 time that we have on Sunday and maybe one other Bible study or small group time. But we get a little stingy with the Lord when it comes to time. You know, we get, we, we get a little, we, we clench a little tight if devotion goes more than 10, 15 minutes in the morning, right? I don't know if Pastor Chrissy has ever called uh, all-night prayer or intercessory prayer, uh, but a lot of people, when you say you're going to pray for more than 15, 20 minutes, they're like, mm, I don't have time. It being a living sacrifice means we give our time to the Lord. I'll spend the time how you want, Lord. Presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice means that we sacrifice our goals, our motives, our aspirations, our career to what God's will is for our lives. That is, as the scripture says, our reasonable service or spiritual act of worship when you read the NIV translation. So a part of worshiping is giving our whole self to be used by God. Because you see, ultimately, as I finish, worship is an act of submission where we lower ourselves physically and spiritually in acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. And sovereignty is just a big old $10 word, which means he's in charge of everything. Or as the young people might say, of everything. He's in charge of everything. So before we have a little time of worship, let me give you a blueprint if you're not used to just spending time worshiping God. How do we worship? First thing we do, thank him. The psalm tells us we enter into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Now those are two different things, thanksgiving and praise. We often conflate them and, and use them interchangeably but they're slightly different. I can thank my daughter and say, sweetheart, thank you for doing all the chores while you've been out this summer. Thank you so much for um, making pancakes. Thank you for um, uh, taking care of the cat. I can thank her for things that she's done, but if I praise her, you are so smart. Nobody can play the piano like you can. You have a unique personality and character that lights up a room. By the way, all these things are true, but that's praise. So when we thank God, 
we're expressing appreciation for what he's done. But when we praise him, we are declaring his character and identity. God, you're wonderful. God, you're mighty. God, you're holy. There is none like you. You're altogether lovely. You are the lily of the valley. You are the rose of Sharon. That is praising God, all a part of worship and speaking well of him. You can also use scripture to praise God, whatever scripture you know. Whether it's, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you can turn that into worship. God, I glorify you because you allow me to do anything through your son that you sent for me. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. That's worship. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. God, I worship you because you've made me not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. There is no enemy that can prevail against me because you love me. That's worship. You can even use the 23rd Psalm. God, you are my shepherd. You're awesome, and I love you, and I thank you that I shall not want. You make sure I have everything I need. You cause me to lay down in green pastures, and God, you lead me beside still waters, and Lord, you restore my soul, and Father, I glorify you because you lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, I thank you that even when things get hard and scary, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to shake because I know you are are with me. God, I thank you that you do discipline me sometimes, but your rod and your staff, it comforts me. God, I thank you that you prepare a table before my enemies, that I always have provision and something to eat, no matter what my enemy has to say about it. God, I thank you that you anoint my head with oil. I thank you that my cup runneth over. You don't only give me what I need, you give me more than what I need. God, I thank you that I don't might not know where I'm going. I might not know what's ahead. I might not know the future, but I know what I'll see when I turn around and look behind me, because surely goodness and mercy follows me all the day of my life. That's how we worship God. That's how we praise God. And when we do it, the, the enemy his, himself must leave, because you see, when we worship God, when we create that throne and invite him to sit in our situation and to be in our lives and to be in our, in our hearts and to be in our circumstances, the Bible tells us that the enemy has to leave because the enemy can't stay where the spirit of God is and the converse is true God won't stay where the enemy is so our worship is strategic in driving the enemy out of our lives as I finish here I want to challenge you my sisters and brothers that if you are, have tough circumstances at home if there is a, a turmoil and an upheaval at home or in your relationships or even on your job or wherever it is, I challenge you to walk through the house. You can wait till nobody else is there or till people are asleep, but you, I challenge you to walk through the house and not ask God for a thing, just worship him. God, you're wonderful. God, you're true. God, you're holy. God, you are eternal. God, you are almighty. God, you are all-knowing. God, you are all-presence. God, your judgments are right. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Just walk through and put worship in the atmosphere and watch God, I believe, change the circumstance. Amen?
Amen. I'm going to finish. I'm, I'm all out of time. I'm going to finish with this. The scripture says, Isaiah 42, verses 10 through 13, it says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praises from the ends of the earth. Sing all you who sail the seas, all who live in distant coastlands. Join in the chorus, you desert towns. Let the villages of Kedar rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Shout praises from the mountaintops. Let the whole world glorify the Lord. Let it sing his praise. And then this is what happens. That the Lord will march forth like a mighty hero. He will come out like a warrior full of fury. He will shout his battle cry and crush all his enemies. I don't know about you, but there are some enemies that I want to be crushed in my life. And I want to invite you, if you have some enemies that need to be crushed in your life, if you find yourself in a dark place, if you find yourself bound and uncomfortable and, and, and uh, uh, afraid, I want to encourage you to take this moment and begin to worship. If that's you, I want to invite you just simply to stand to your feet. And we are going to take a moment to worship God. Now, you can do it any way that's comfortable to you. However, I want to challenge you to let your worship be reflective of our mighty God and not reflective of your own personal comfort or discomfort. So if you don't normally raise your hands, but you know God is worthy of you lifting your hands before him, I want to encourage you to do that. If you don't normally clap your hands because you know God is worthy of praise, says clap your hands, all you people shout unto God with the voice of triumph, I want to encourage you to do that. Some of you might want to walk around just a little bit. You can come out in the aisles. You won't bother me one bit. Or if it's just a matter of I need to be quiet in your presence, Lord, you can stay silent in the presence of the Lord. But don't use that as an excuse to not present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So before we sing a song and have the crutch of a song, I want us just to begin to worship God. You begin to thank him for what he's done in your life. I can't thank God for you because I don't know your testimony. So I want you to use your mouth, your vocal cords, your voice, and just begin to praise God right there where you are. Don't worry about who's next to you. This might be a little different than your tradition here at City Life, but that's okay. I believe God will honor your willingness to step out of your comfort zone and just begin to worship him. Would you be like Paul and Silas this morning? And in the midnight of your imprisonment, will you pray and sing praises of celebration and laud the Lord right now? Just go ahead. Just go ahead. Don't wait on me. Don't wait on the worship team. Just begin to worship him. Tell him how wonderful he is. Tell him how faithful he is. Tell him how much you trust him. Tell him how much you love him. Come on, use your mouth. Make the throne in your own heart. I can only build a throne in my heart. I can't build your throne. Just begin to worship him. God, we glorify you. We magnify you. You are awesome. You are faithful. You are good. You are gracious. You are holy. Lord, would you hear the praises of your people right now? 
in the name of Jesus. Come on, keep worshiping him. I can hear my worshipers behind me. I don't hear you very well. Come on, use your voice. Glory be unto your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that there is indeed power in your name to break every chain. Thank you, Lord. Come see about your people, Father. Would you meet them at the point of their need, Lord? Would you receive this worship as a sweet-smelling savor in their nostrils? In the name of Jesus. Come on, just keep worshiping the Lord. As the Holy Spirit leads the worship team, they're going to lead us in corporate worship. But you don't wait on the singers to sing for you. You worship the Lord right where you are. And I believe he'll break every chain, set you free from every dungeon. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's worship him.